Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Titus chapter 3. We're picking up our studies in Titus. So if you have your Bibles there, please turn to Titus chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 1 through to 7. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his word. Paul, in his letters, often mingles doctrinal instruction with practical application. And you can see this in the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 1, he speaks about the behaviour God expects in the church. And then in chapter 2, he speaks about the behaviour that God expects uh, in the home. And then in chapter 3, he speaks about uh, the Christian's behaviour in relationship to the state. And on each occasion, he underlines that with some of the most profound uh, teaching Uh, anywhere in the New Testament about the gospel itself. We find that in chapter 3. Paul gives instructions about the Christian as a citizen in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3 to 7, he gives great teaching about the doctrine of salvation. Now, we're going to leave the uh, doctrine of salvation, the doctrinal section, to next week and concentrate on this practical uh, section on our relationship to the state. Now, I'm convinced that Western democracy generally, the UK specifically, and in Northern Ireland uh, particularly, there is no subject that the Christian conscience is so ill-informed as the Christian's responsibility to the state. Politicians and even church leaders are vehemently vocal in their defence of biblical Protestantism, but strangely silent on the Bible's instruction about our responsibility to the state. Even Baptists who believe in the separation of church and state can get worked up over political issues to such a way, in such a way that they discredit their testimony. People will speak of God and Ulster when Jesus clearly says, my kingdom is not of this world. People will speak of legitimate political protests when Paul said, we are to live peaceful and quiet lives and all godliness and fear. People will speak of resisting the imposition of undemocratic laws upon us when Paul says, he who rebels against the authorities is rebelling against God. People will speak of withdrawing cooperation from the state when Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. People will entangle themselves in politics When Paul says no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to have political aspirations, 
political aims or even political ambitions. But what I am saying is that it is sinful to resist legitimate government rule. This is what Paul says, writing, remember, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. I want you to notice three things this morning. Our duty to submit to the state, our attitude in submitting to the state, and our motivation for submitting to the state. So first of all, our duty to submit to the state. Look at verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now that word submissive or subject means to be under the authority of it. It was used uh, in a military context of the subjection that a subordinate officer would render to his superior officer. It means that the Christians on Crete were to recognise the position of rulers and authorities. Now Cretans, remember, had a notoriously turbulent character. Remember that description, that key description in chapter 1 and verse 12 where Paul, quoting one of their own poets, says uh, that the people of Crete were evil brutes, lazy gluttons and liars. And it seems that those characteristics express themselves not only morally and socially but politically as well. One ancient Greek historian, Polybius, tells us that they were constantly involved in insurrections, murders, and mutually destructive wars. In 67 uh, BC, they were conquered by Rome, and since since then, they have been continually resistant to Roman rule. Paul tells them, as Christians, to be subject to rulers and authorities. Now, rulers refers to those who rule, to kings, governors, and emperors. We might say to the queen, to the prime minister, to the first minister, to the parliament, to our local assembly. And then he adds authorities. That's to the judiciary, the military, to the tax collectors. Uh, tax collector, those who uh, are representatives of government, who although do not rule, represent those who do rule. We might say to the courts, to the police, and to the inland revenue. We are to be subject to all institutions of government, says Paul, to those who rule and to those who represent that rule. He goes on to describe that subjection in both negative and positive terms. We are to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. Negatively, he says, we are to be obedient, to be submissive and willing to obey all laws and institutions of government. Now, of course, when that obedience involves a violation of God's authority, then it's our duty to resist and refuse. Remember Peter's words to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish ruling council in Acts 4, when they asked him not to speak or teach in Jesus' name. And he said, we ought to obey God rather than man. The early Christians could not give the state unconditional obedience or allegiance. The emperor worship of the first century was a clear violation of the second commandment. How could they say Caesar was Lord when they had confessed that Jesus is Lord? The biblical principle of submission to God took precedence. 
over submission to the state. Our first loyalty is to God. And if our obedience to the state collides with obedience to him, our duty is always first to God. But in the ordinary run of things, the Christian is commanded to be obedient to the state. If you imagine that the situation ever arose, that pastors were um, required by law to marry same-sex couples, that would be a, a clear violation of God's law, of the principles laid down in God's word. And then that pastor, even under the threat of arrest, would have to remain loyal to God. But as long as there is no biblical principle violated, the Christian is under obligation to submit to all the institutions of government. So negatively, they are to be obedient. Positively, they are to be ready for every good work. According to both Paul and Peter, the double function of the state is on the one hand to punish evil and on the other to promote good. So for Paul, Romans 13 and verse 4, for he is God's servant, speaking of the, the rulers, for he is God's servant to do you good. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer, that double function. First Peter 2, 14, governors are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, on the one hand, and to commend those who do right, on the other, you see the dual function of the state, to punish wrong, but also to promote good. Now, says Paul, as Christians, you must be ready to cooperate with the authorities in promoting good and engaging in every good work. You should be the best citizen of your country. You should be a leader in civic duty. You don't withdraw your cooperation. You don't isolate yourself. You don't opt out. You engage in every good work. We should be God, uh, God's agents in society, good neighbours, good residents, good citizens. So this then is the nature of the subjection God expects from his people to the state, to be obedient on the one hand, and to be ready for every good work. But you say our government is so unjust uh, in its toleration um, of, of uh, abortion and its promotion of the transgender LGBT uh, agenda in allowing terrorists to sit in government. And morally, that is reprehensible, but that does not permit us to resist or to rebel against the state. You think of Rome, a morally bankrupt regime, tyrannical and cruel, totalitarian and oppressive, persecuting Christians, ruled by that almost mad despot Nero. And yet Paul says, be submissive to rulers. This is our duty as Christians. And to fail to submit is sin. Do you remember that double definition of sin in the shorter catechism? That sin is any transgression of the law of God, but also any want of conformity to the law of God. And when we don't submit to our leaders, we sin. A Christian must aim at being a good citizen 
in his country, he submits to all rulers and authority. If the government passes legislation that politically uh, is abhorrent to him, nevertheless, he obeys it. He pays his taxes. He obeys the law. You know, sometimes we trivialize the, the breaking of the law, but to break the law of the land is to break the law of God. Breaking the speed limits is a transgression of the law of God. I have three points on my license. That's nothing to boast about. That's sinful. I shouldn't have them there, particularly as a Christian. We are to be submissive to our rulers. Those who have passed uh, their driving test recently and are restricted drivers and display their R plates, it's sin. It's a sin to go over 45 miles an hour. When we were in Balamani, uh, the DOE put a lot of new double yellow lines around the town and uh, people came and parked in their usual place for church uh, on, one, uh, on Sunday mornings. And uh, one particular church, they were parked uh, up the road on these double yellow lines and the police came and ticketed them. And the minister of that church got up the next Sunday and told them not to pay the fines. That's wrong. That's dangerous. That's sinful. We have a responsibility to obey our rulers. Now the reason for that is not given here, but it is given in Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 1. The authorities that exist, listen to this, have been established by God. You think of Roman rule. It has been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the state is rebelling against God, is rebelling against what God has instituted. To resist government, to break the law, to resist the police, is to resist God. That's how serious this, this is. Our duty to submit to the state. Secondly, I want you to notice our attitude in submitting to the state. Look at verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul here is still speaking of the Christian's relationship to the state. He obviously now broadens it out to include our relationship with society at large. For he says at the end of verse 2, toward all people. But included in that, he has in mind the government powers that be. Now he says two things about our attitude. He says we should be temperate in our language and gentle in our relationships. So first of all, temperate in our language. Look at verse 2 again. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling. The authorised version says speak, not to speak evil uh, or to be brawlers. The NIV says slander no one and be peaceful. But those last two words, peaceful and brawlers, has to do with speech. It has to do with what we, we say. Now the first word slander, the authorised version translates as speak evil. It's the Greek word blasphemo from which we get our English word Blasphemy. It means to slander, to curse, to treat with contempt, to be little, to show no respect, to be disrespectful. The second word, quarrelling, 
or um, brawlers as the AV has it, has to do again with, with what we say, what we, how we speak. It means to be contentious, it means uh, to be belligerent, it means quarrelsome. Uh, the New American Standard Version translates it not contentious. So Paul is saying here that we are not to speak against anyone or argue with anyone. It means in speech we are neither offensive or argumentative. We are to be temperate in our language. We are to treat people with respect. Now you think for a moment about the way politicians speak to each other. Or think of how we speak about politicians in temperate language. Words are dangerous. They can do great harm. They can incite people to sin. Men who profess to be Christians spewing out venomous words that do great damage to the political stability of our country. Calling former Secretary of State's mad cows or, or liars or chief constables as traitors. That's unacceptable. I may think that this government is the most morally bankrupt government that we ever have had in the UK. But scripture commands me, nevertheless, to speak of them with respect. If you think of over the last number of years, how immorality has come to dominate the lives of those who are in power. Think of cash for questions. Think of the expenses scandal. And I have a responsibility as a pastor, of course, to condemn that kind of behaviour and expose that kind of behaviour. But nevertheless, in my language, I am to be temperate and to show respect. And so should we all. Shouting abuse at policemen, politicians or papists has no place among Christians. Protesting outside ecumenical gatherings or party headquarters or political meetings is foreign to the Christianity of the New Testament. How this province has been savaged by intemperate language. We are to speak with respect when it comes to our society. So temperate in language. Secondly, to be gentle in relationships. Look again at verse 2. To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarrelling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Gentle and to show perfect courtesy. The NIV says to be uh, considerate and humble. The AV says gentle and meek. That word uh, gentle um, means to be moderate. One commentator translates it as sweet reasonableness. It means to be clement, to be conciliatory, to be patient, not to react. It's the opposite of flying off the handle or burning with rage. The other word, courtesy, translated by the NIV as humility and by the authorised version as meekness, uh, is that grace that was displayed by the Lord Jesus Christ, that when he re was reviled, he reviled not again. Meekness is not weakness, it's controlled strength. It's that grace that considers others 
better than ourselves. It's how we came to Christ when we humbled ourselves and realized that we have nothing to offer to God and we cast ourselves upon Christ. It recognizes our own bankruptcy and that we're no better than other people. The Lord himself is described as meek and lowly of heart. That he didn't revile when he was reviled again. So in our relationships with society, we are to be conciliatory. We are to be meek. We are to be courteous. The text literally says, all meekness to all men, to all people. No exceptions, no exclusions. Be like Jesus, says Paul, conciliatory and gentle. I asked you, what would the Lord Jesus have done? Would he have stood at a picket line shouting abuse? Would he have engaged in a a protest outside Herod's uh, castle protesting against the death of John the Baptist? Even when he was arrested, he healed the high priest's servant's ear. Am I leading a rebellion, he said. This is how you are to relate to society, temperate in language and gentle in your relationships. The way that Christians influence and change society is not through a protest or parading, but by preaching. It is the gospel that is the agent of change in a bankrupt society. Nowhere in the New Testament do you find the apostles protesting uh, to the government. They simply proclaimed Christ. You don't speak abusively or aggressively against those in authority. You pray, as Paul writes to Timothy, uh, for those in authority. And why do you pray? 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This then is our attitude, or ought rather to be our attitude, to those in authority. We ought to be temperate in language, speak evil of no one, avoid uh, quarrelsome arguments, gentle in relationships, be gentle and show perfect courtesy. Our duty to submit to the state, our attitude in submitting to the state, and then thirdly, our motivation for submitting to the state. Why is it necessary as a Christian that I should submit myself in this way to those in authority? Well, look at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us. Now, unfortunately, the NIV unaccountably leaves out that crucial word for. It's a small word, but it's an important word in the text. For we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, led astray. Now, that's an important word because Paul is giving us reasons why we should display this respectful, submissive attitude to society in general and to the state in particular. Now, in verse 3, he takes the Cretans back to their former lives before they were Christians. 
And he lists seven vices that characterized their lives. They were foolish, not foolish in that they lacked wisdom, but in the spiritual usage of that word and the way that it's used in Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, that they were spiritually uh, imperceptive. They were disobedient to both divine authority and to human authority. They were led astray or deceived. They were taken away by impulses and temptations. They were enslaved to all kinds of passions and uh, pleasures. They, they couldn't do anything else but sin against the great God of heaven. Malice, sheer wickedness, envy, literally meaning to waste away that they were consumed by envy, and they were hated and uh, were hating one another. My Paul says at one time, this is what you were like, this is how you were. These seven characteristics were true of you. I don't think it's any accident that there are seven virtues in verses one and two submission, being obedient, ready to do good work not avoid quarreling and being gentle and uh, courteous. So there are seven vices in verses three, uh, in verse three, and seven virtues in verses one and two. That verse three is the antithesis. It's the opposite of verses one and two. This is how you were, says Paul, but not anymore. This is not how you should live any longer. Something dramatic has happened to you. Verse 4, but, this is one of those crucial buts in Scripture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. That's what made the difference. That's what precipitated the change. That's what transformed them. From disobedience to the sins to obedient ones, from envy and malice to being peaceful and considerate, from hating others to loving others to displaying true humility in relationship to others. When he saved us, he changed us. And it was his goodness and loving kindness that changed them. It was when the goodness and loving kindness of our Savior appeared that this dramatic, drastic change took place in their lives. In other words, there are not only ethical implications for conversion, but there are political implications in believing in Jesus also. He changes us. He transforms us. He renews us in every way. When uh, Ivor Oakley was principal of the Irish Baptist uh, College, he was awarded his PhD. And one of the students, uh, wanting to ask him a question, was chasing him up the garden and saying, Mr. Oakley, Mr. Oakley, Mr. Oakley. And uh, eventually he caught him up with him, but Dr. Oakley just ignored him. And, uh, and eventually when he caught him up, he turned around and he said, Mr. Oakley is dead. It's Dr. Oakley now. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. He says, when you were converted, you were changed, dramatically changed. And the, the old man 
is gone. The old man is dead. That's what you say at your baptism. When you go down into the water, you're, you're saying, you're testifying to a watching world. I'm dead. The old man is gone. And when you come up out of the water, a new man has risen. You are a new creation. There is a new beginning. When he saved us, he transformed us. And that old man has gone. That protester and ranter, that person who shouts at the TV and, and gives off uh, about other politicians, that, that man has gone. And a new man has come. He has saved us. And what Paul is saying to Titus is this. There are political implications to your faith. The way you react and respond to rulers and authorities is now radically altered by your faith. I'm not saying that it's wrong for Christians to hold political opinions or to have political views. That's, that's all very well, as long as you don't bring them into church, because we believe in the separation of church and state. You can have your political aims and aspirations and even political ambitions. That's, that's fine. But when you have and hold those things, that you hold them gracefully, you hold them like a Christian, that grace makes you gracious. That our chief concern as Christians ought not to be the United Kingdom, but the eternal kingdom, God's kingdom. Let me read just some verses from First Peter chapter 2 and, uh, and uh, verse 13. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through to 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Honour the king. For this is the will of God, that you might silence those who oppose you. There is a witness here. There is a testimony here. Our chief concern always ought to be for the gospel's advance and our political allegiances and our political loyalties must always come second to that. So because of his faith, the Christian ought to be the best citizen of his country. He obeys its laws. He pays his taxes. He respects his government. And he prays for those in authority over him. Our faith affects every aspect of our lives. Not least of all, the way we behave politically. Our duty to submit to the state, we are to be obedient and eager for good works. Our attitude in submitting to the state, we are to be temperate in our language and gentle in our relationships. And our mot motivation for submitting to the state is because of salvation, for he saved us. 
We're not the same. We're different. We have died to our old life, and he has raised us to live a new life in him. Amen.